Welcome to the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. It's time for you. A podcast produced for the sheep industry by Sheep Connect New South Wales. Hi, my name is Fiona MacArthur, a network coordinator for Sheep Connect New South Wales. The Sheep Extension Network in New South Wales, which is funded by Australian Wool Innovation. Sheep Connect New South Wales has a membership of over 4,000 and our main aim is to keep you and your sheep business up to date on information about all things sheep. We are pleased to have you join us this season for our latest edition of It's Time For You. With over 70,000 listens on our podcast, we thank you for joining us. Welcome to today's podcast for It's Time For You. And today we will be joined by Dr. Matt Playford and we're going to be talking all about preparing clean pastures. When we look at preparing clean pastures, we're talking about preparing lambing paddocks and weaning paddocks for our vulnerable stock. That's been more important this year because we've had the perfect conditions for a good parasite storm across most of New South Wales, which I'm quite sure our listeners have been experiencing as well. So with extreme parasite numbers, I'd like to welcome our guru parasitologist, Matt Playford, here to talk about how we're going to deal with it going forward. Hi, Matt. Hi, Fiona. Thanks for having me on. Matt, well, you and I have spoken a lot over the last few months about the parasite storms that are cruising around town, for want of a better word, and it's really been the ideal conditions for parasites and I suppose that what that means for farmers going ahead is that they've potentially got some really contaminated paddocks this year and we need to look at ways that we could clean it up so what does it mean when we're looking at preparing clean paddocks? Yeah this is uh, such a, a great topic and very timely as you've said Fiona. Last year we did a um a, a webinar and one of the producers um, asked a question. They said, what's the difference between people who've got good worm control and people who don't? And I thought about this because it was actually um, a key issue. You know, we, we, we really do see some people, some producers who've got excellent worm control, even in difficult conditions, and others seem to suffer a, a great amount. And the, the key issue I realized was the people who've got good worm control don't just think about the worms in their animals, they also think about the worms on their pastures. And so if you have the mindset that you're always thinking about two separate worm populations, one, one set of worms that are in the animals and the other set on the pastures, that paves the way to getting great worm control in your flock. it's really paying attention to that whole life cycle and if anyone's joined our webinars with Matt he would have put up multiple times now the whole life cycle that we see and that as Matt's just pointed out then Matt it includes inside the sheep and then outside the sheep on pasture so when we're looking at preparing these clean paddocks what sort of what's our target in our flock at home what are we preparing them for Well, traditionally we would have said, if you can spell your paddocks for four or five months in most parts of New South Wales, 
So for example, over the, uh, over the really cold months of the year, if you're spelling paddocks then, um, you'll actually reduce the numbers of worm larvae that are on the paddocks by about 90%. Now this year, we've got two problems with that. One, we're not getting the same reduction in numbers of worms on the paddock. And secondly, we've got more worms on numbers to begin with. So the 90% reduction may not be enough. We might need a 99% reduction before we can start to call those paddocks safe for putting in either lambing ewes or weaners. So Matt, what's the first thing producers should do when they're looking at preparing clean pastures? The first thing is to look at their management calendar. So for example, if you're preparing a lambing paddock and you know that the ewes are going to start lambing around the beginning of August, you know that because you know when you let the rams in and when you let the rams out, and you know you're gonna to have to prov provide low risk lambing paddocks for them, you know, around the end of July, then you should be thinking about what you're going to do to make sure that those paddocks are low risk and have adequate nutrition for the ewe mobs going into them. And so that's the, that's the, first, um, the first issue. And if you haven't started, now's the time to start planning those paddocks because it will take at least four months before those paddocks will be in um, optimal condition for putting ewes in. Now, once we've looked at our calendar, which is a, certainly a great starting point, with that, that target audience in mind, and that there are our ewes and our weaners, what's, how should we go on from here? Okay, well, the second thing is how do we prepare the ideal weaning paddocks? Weaners are very susceptible to worms um, simply because they haven't built up immunity to them. Now, once they start to become exposed to worms, particularly to barber's pole and secondarily to um, black scow worm, after about three to four months constant exposure, they do build up a degree of immunity. But until then, they are quite susceptible. So weaners are our most susceptible group. For brown stomach worm, they tend to, uh, to not have much immunity. And um, that's something that persists right through till adulthood. It's very slow to develop. The other thing to remember about immunity is that ewes that have good, strong immunity tend to lose it as they approach lambing and lactation. And that's particularly important for twinning mobs. Any ewe that has a multiple um, birth on board will struggle to produce sufficient, uh, or will struggle to have sufficient intake to have uh, energy to service both the, um, the, the requirements of um, the two fetuses inside her and also lactation because it is just so demanding and they're going through a phase where they don't have much space in their abdomen for the rumen and also their appetite is reduced. And so that's why we do get a, a profound decrease in immunity of use around um, lambing. Now that means that our lambing paddocks are always highly contaminated. And if the lambs stay in that paddock for too long, then they're gonna start eating grass off the paddock that's got huge numbers of worm larvae on them. 
how long do you think it would take to clean up a pasture? And does this vary depending on where we live in the state? Yeah, it varies a lot, Fiona. So for example, in the Western Division where pastures are quite open and you may be running low stocking rates, you have a big advantage trying to get clean pastures because, um, you know, for example, you might be lambing onto, onto crop and also you have um, uh, probably got more open pastures. And so that means that um, it may only be, you know, a four or five month preparation. In other places with high stocking density, high amounts of rain, lots of moisture at ground level, the survival and development of the worms is optimal. And that means it may take longer. It could take up to six months unless some um, management inputs are introduced. Looking at the parasite life cycle we said before was really key to this whole process. What are the critical time points that we should consider when we're looking at the life cycle of the parasite? Okay, well look, the, the first one is the length of time it takes for an egg to hatch and develop into an infective larva. And that's generally about a week under the conditions that we've got at the moment. Now, once they develop into an infective larva, and to do that, they just need oxygen, moisture, and um, adequate daytime temperatures, like temperatures above about uh, 15 degrees, then they'll be very, very um, uh, strong and able to withstand even frosts and um, uh, rain and even dry periods. So if you can um, uh, have minimal um, dropping of eggs onto the pasture, then that will be a big, uh, a big head start. So that seven day period is, um, is uh, uh, a very important benchmark to use when we're thinking about contaminating paddocks. The second one is the 30 day benchmark. And that means that animals that have dropped eggs, animals That's that come good. onto a pasture, and have um, picked up uh, infective larvae, then start to drop eggs that turn into infective larvae about 30 days later. And so if you're crash grazing a pasture and you want to clean up the pasture, then that's a, a good um, period to keep in mind because if sheep that don't have worms, if they've had a clean drench, a completely effective drench are put onto pasture, there shouldn't be any infective larvae on that pasture for the next 30 days and so you can uh, crash graze, get them off and allow that pasture to grow back. When we look at a pasture, where are the larvae? Do they hang out all at the top or down at the bottom of the sward and even in the soil? They tend to stay um, down close to the bottom of the sward and so you'll find that about um, 80 to 90% of the worms are actually located in the bottom 5%, uh, sorry, five centimetres of the grass sward. And you'll find a, a fair few of them are actually located in the top centimetre of soil. Now from the soil, they wriggle back up onto the grass and um, they'll be on the grass, um, you know, maybe as a, it'll act as a reservoir for, for later penetration of worms back up onto the grass. Once you get up to 15 centimetres, um, there's almost no worm larvae up there because it's simply too high for them to crawl up. 
We can't talk about this topic without having a little look about climate and how it affects our larvae and the different species. Is the distribution of the species of different gastrointestinal parasites changing as our climate's been changing? Well, look, it certainly seems to be, Fiona. We don't have definitive um, research done on this, but we do know that if we compare summer rainfall across the sheep raising areas of Australia from 100 years ago to now, there's been a slight increase in summer rainfall. But the most profound change there's been in the last 100 years has been increase in temperatures. So we have seen a distinct increase in temperatures across the sheep rearing areas uh, over summer. So that's average temperature. And um, if you want to check the sources for that, there's very good maps available on the Bureau of Meteorology website. I'd encourage anyone to go and have a look at that. So yes, that does mean that there's been um, a slight um, alteration in favour of the subtropical worms, such as um, Barber's pole worm, Haemonchus contortus, and also Trichostrongylus colubriformis, which is um, a worm that, that does like those, um, you know, warmer temperatures. And where would we find information on this? Because it might be a bit hard to describe over our podcast, but how are the larval activities affected by different temperature and moisture conditions? Yeah, just to give you a bit of a snapshot, um, I talked about Barber's pole worm and um, black scow worm, the northern black scow worm. And they really do have their ideal um, development at about 27 and a half degrees. So they're, they're quite warm blooded. They like their, their warm weather. When we're looking at um, brown stomach worm, their ideal development where they get 100% development is only 19.5 degrees. And if we look at the, uh, the second species of black scour worm, which is uh, Trichostrongylus vitrinus. It's a, a southern black scow worm. It really likes um, cooler temperatures, 13 degrees, and it'll keep on developing quite happily right down to two or three degrees. And so we've got a bit of a variation in the worms, but the, um, the changes in climate, and particularly these most recent um, seasons where we've seen uh, um, heavy summer rainfall throughout uh, a lot of the sheep rearing areas of Eastern Australia means that there's more barbers pole worm around than there ever has been. And Matt, if we look forward to the forecast, we've had a great season for parasites so far. It is dry though, I am mindful in some areas of the state. What's the forecast looking like? Still looking pretty good for rain, um, Fiona. So it's uh, no news to people up in the northeast corner at the moment who are experiencing um, continuing heavy rain. But right through to July, the Bureau of Meteorology is predicting that we're going to have higher than average um, seasonal rainfall. So as a result, how much larvae could we be finding on pastures? Well, look, we could be seeing larval counts on pastures that go up to 40 or even 50,000 larvae per kilogram of dry matter. Um, now, it's a very convenient way of measuring the number of larvae by pegging it against the kilogram of dry matter. 
because that's, you know, you can expect a sheep to eat a kilogram of dry matter every day. So if we peg it against a kilogram of dry matter, we can say, well, you know, potentially a sheep is going to take in, you know, 40,000 larvae um, per day. And that's going to give them um, high levels of infection and a big pose a big risk to both their, their life and health. Matt, it's not very easy for farmers to go out and measure the number of larvae on their pasture. So how can they estimate their larval pasture contamination easily on farm? Yeah, it's not easy for anyone to measure the number of larvae on pasture, Fiona. It's it's actually quite a uh, quite a tricky laboratory method that involves um, very um, specific sampling techniques along with laboratory um, harvesting and counting. So it's not something that's that's done cheaply or easily. But we've got a reasonably good proxy by measuring the worm egg count of the sheep and how long they've been in a pasture, then we can um, work out through a, a traffic light system, which pastures are of high risk, which ones are medium and which ones have been spelled long enough or had other management techniques to allow them to be classified as low risk pastures. So Matt, what can we do to start to, we now have worked out what the season's going to do, what the season's looking forward to do. We know how to estimate how much larvae is on our pasture. How are we going to go about actually cleaning it up? Yeah, well, this is um, this has been a big education for me over the last um, 15 years working in this uh, particular area because there's a lot of very creative approaches out there um, on New South Wales farms. And uh, one of the main um, ways that a lot of people use is to rotate with cattle. And this is a great way to do it because there's very little sharing of worms between cattle and sheep. And cattle tend to eat the longer parts of the sward that the sheep avoid and therefore open up the lower parts of the pasture both to drying out and also exposure to UV radiation. So rotation with cattle is great. The second thing is rotating with uh, dry sheep. As we mentioned before, if you drench sheep so that they're not producing any worm eggs, put them into a pasture, um, then you should be able to expect a fairly um, good um, cleanup hoovering, hoovering effect of, uh, of those sheep. And when I say dry sheep, I mean um, non-pregnant ewes or non-lactating ewes or weathers. And then uh, as a way of um, uh, improving that impact, a lot of people are using long-acting treatments. Now, by that, I mean both capsules and the long-acting injectables. What should we be thinking about when we're using long-actings at the moment? Well, look, the first thing we should consider is um, how well is that active ingredient working against the worms on the farm? If you haven't done a drench test, you can probably assume that it's not 100% because resistance over the last 15 years has meant that all of these products now have some level of resistance. We've done a, a bit of analysis of the tests coming through the Dorbitz laboratory and we've found that most farmers like to use a um, 100 eggs per gram as a benchmark for when they, um, when they drench again after a long acting treatment. 
to try and suppress the number of worm eggs that are contaminating the pasture. Now, if you're using a long-acting injection without a primer, and a primer is simply any effective drench given at the same time as a long-acting injection, then the average time it takes, this is just for samples that have come through over the last four years, average time it takes to get back above 100 um, eggs per gram is only three weeks. Now for producers who've used a primer, uh, any type of primer, they're getting seven weeks from their long-acting injections. And so I'd encourage anyone who's using long-acting injections to use a primer at the start and then as well as that, a tail cutter, as soon as the worm egg counts get up, up above your threshold, uh, which might be 100, it might be um, a different different threshold, but you have to decide, uh, then give them a tail cutter with an effective drench to similarly stop the um, contamination of paddocks with uh, resistant worms. Locking up paddocks can be really difficult, and if you don't have cattle, it's even more challenging to keep those paddocks productive. Can you utilise cropping or haymaking to help assist in the process? Yeah, absolutely. So if you um, if you have um, access to um, to those management tools, they're a fantastic way of um, both removing the worm larvae themselves because you're, you're cutting the grass close down to the ground and um, uh, are taking it away, but also opening up the remaining worm larvae to um, drying out and being killed by UV radiation. But how important is it to be regularly monitoring with worm egg counts during the season, but especially at the moment coming into this time? Look, it's probably the key thing. Um, a lot of people have been caught off guard this year. Um, when we looked at the um, the results combined from all of the different um, FECPAC providers, and FECPAC is just a worm egg count method um, that's found in a lot of uh, veterinary clinics and uh, rural stores and even on some farms. We saw that um, in December, the worm egg count, the average worm egg count of a New South Wales mob went up above a thousand eggs per gram. And we know that once um, once ewe mobs have got a, a thousand eggs per gram, they're put into a risk category that's about three times higher for actually uh, dying from worms. So um, it's it's quite apparent this year has been a very um, uh, a, a very pronounced um, season for worms, and it has caught a lot of people off guard. So it, the easiest way to monitor them is just to do the worm egg counts. Just before we finish up, Matt, you spoke um, earlier in the podcast about using an effective drench and the importance of that. How do we know if our drench is effective? Well, look, the easiest way is just to do a worm egg count two weeks after the drench. And that tells you um, how well that, that drench worked. If you've got a reference worm egg count, like uh, another worm egg count done on the day of drenching, you can work out exactly how well that drench has worked. Um, not just sort of say, well, it hasn't worked because I've still got worm eggs. You can say, well, it's worked at 70% or or 15%. Or if you're, um, you know, still uh, very fortunate with your drenches, it's still working at 95%. Great. Thanks, Matt, for joining us on It's Time For You and sharing your valuable knowledge with our listeners.
been a pleasure. Thanks, Fiona. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of It's Time For You, the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. If you haven't done so already, rate and review us on iTunes. We'd appreciate it if you could share our podcast within your networks. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the Australian Wool Innovation podcast, The Yarn. We'd love you to stay in contact with Sheep Connect New South Wales, and you can do this in a number of ways. Join our network by visiting www.sheepconnectnewsouthwales.com.au and you can find us at Sheep Connect New South Wales on Facebook and Twitter. We look forward to seeing you at our workshops and events during the year. Thank you again for joining us today. Bye for now. Thank you.